Welcome, welcome. It's good to have you. Um, I, I mean, we really mean that. Thank you for making an effort to be here today and for not doing whatever else you could have been doing to, uh, to join us for this thing called church. It's great to be together. Um, I also want to welcome everybody who's watching online or listening to the podcast. Great to have you as well. Um, just in the interest of being fully transparent and addressing the elephant that's in the room again, we are talking about money today. Uh, if you were here last week, you remember we started this. This is the second and final week of this little mini-series about who or what are we going to trust with our lives. And uh, last week, that was kind of the, the point of the message. I want to let you know this week where we're heading right out the gate so you're not left trying to guess or wonder or think we're trying to manipulate you. This week is still about money, but this week is specifically about giving our money generously. But here's, here's what I promise you. We're not going to pass any offering plates or buckets, nothing like that. Nobody's going to sign like a little pledge card. I'm going to give so much by next week or I'm not welcome back. None of that sort of stuff. Okay. So just everybody take a deep breath. We can get through this thing. Like I said last week, the reason we're talking about this is because God has instructions for all sorts of different areas of our lives. And, and as we grow in our relationship with him, we want to learn what those instructions are. And the most important of all, where is the best place for us to put our trust? Now, if you weren't here last week, I want to cover a real quick quick recap of what we talked about. There were two main points that, that I hope we all left with last week. And the first one is that we are all searching for satisfaction and security. Every one of us are looking to have these internal needs fulfilled. We've all got them. We all want to feel happy and joy. We all are looking for peace and protection and this, this calm, this like, everything's going to be okay. They're human needs that we all have. And we've been told, culturally speaking, that we can find these things in money or in what money can do for us. And so we put our trust in money. We believe that money can do these things. We use our money to try and find satisfaction and security in our lives. And in a sense, we have made money an idol. An idol is something that we admire or adore. It's something that we devote our lives to. I think for many of us, if we're honest, money certainly fits that description in our lives. I know oftentimes it does for me, but here's what we have all discovered in life, whether you were here last week or not, we've all found money actually doesn't provide these things. Money is useful. Money is a great tool. It helps us be responsible and take care of ourselves and all sorts of things. But money cannot provide lasting satisfaction on the inside. Money is powerless to provide lasting security on the inside. It is so unreliable when it comes to doing what we think it will do. And so the second thing we covered last week is that idols can't be removed. They have to be replaced. You and I are always going to trust in something, in someone. And what we discovered last week from what Jesus said and what Paul wrote is that our trust is much better placed in God than it is in money because God is able to satisfy us on the inside. God is able to give us lasting eternal security on the inside. And the more we learn to trust God, the better off we will be. The better our lives will be, the more we will actually experience on the inside what we're all looking to experience. If we actually follow what's written on our money in God we trust, we will end up better. But I think that there's a natural question 
that comes out of that. And in fact, if you were here last week or you were listening last week, maybe you even walked away with this question is, how do we do that? Okay, so I just heard a message about some guy saying, you know, just trust God more. How do we trust God more? What does it look like to transfer our trust away from money and onto God? And honestly, part of that is just this this relationship with God that Jesus makes possible. The more you and I spend time with God and get to know his character and his heart and his will and his promises and his love, the more we experience God's presence, the more our trust in him just naturally does grow. You know, it's like if you meet somebody for the first time, you don't trust them, you're getting to know them. But five, 10, 15 years down the line, you know, if you've been married for that long or known somebody, you start to trust. It's the same sort of thing with God. However, when it comes specifically to the issue of money, God gives us a very direct, very clear instruction on how to help this trusting him process along. And we read part of it. It's found in 1 Timothy. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. We read this verse last week. God is a better person to trust than our money. It's the best. But here's how that transfer of trust can happen. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Because by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life, both now and in the future. This right here is God's instruction about transferring trust. He says, be generous. To give generously. Now, this is not to be saved. We don't have to give generously in order to be right with God or stay right with God. Whether we give generously or not does not affect our eternal salvation and ability to go to heaven when we die, okay? We cannot mix the two. That is fully made possible through the, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are right with God regardless of anything else. This is just talking about how to transfer trust. And I get it. It seems so countercultural, right? It seems so counterintuitive. How would giving money away help us financially? But, but, but I think what Paul is trying to get to, what God is trying to say through Paul's words is there's something that happens on the inside when we open our hands and give. When we so oftentimes we grip our money so tight. You know, we, we want to be responsible. We want to make sure we, we still might believe that money can do something for us. And so we want to make sure not to lose any. And so we grip it so tight. Maybe not physically, but you know what I mean. With our lives, with our heart, we grip it so tight. But when we, when we loosen our grip on money, you know what happens? Money starts to loosen its grip on us. When we loosen our control of money, money starts to lose some of its control over us. This is God's instruction for how we can learn to trust him more. I think maybe in, there's no perfect illustration to kind of show this, but I think maybe that maybe a visual can help us kind of understand what Paul was writing to Timothy. This bottle right here, the, the plastic bottle represents our lives. Okay. This is us 
I don't know why there's no arms and legs. I couldn't find one with it. But this, this bottle is us, right? And everything inside this bottle is what we trust. Right now there's oil in it and the oil represents our trust in money. Many of us, there's probably some other things in there as well, but for this illustration and probably if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of our lives is filled with trusting in money. This water has a little bit of food coloring so we can see it. This represents trusting in God. This is good, this is pure, this is what we need. It's hydrating, it's fulfilling. And maybe we hear a message like last week or maybe we read this verse from 1 Timothy, you know, don't trust in money, just trust in God. And we say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to trust God more in my life. And so we just start pouring some water, you know. I want to trust God more. And I'm, I'm maybe saying a prayer and maybe I'm going to church and I'm crossing my fingers and clicking my heels three times, you know, hoping I can get there. But, but you, you see what's, what's not happening? The trusting God is not growing by doing this. You and, you and I, we can pour all the water we want on here, but nothing is actually getting inside. Why? Because there's something standing in the way. There's something preventing the transfer of trust from happening. It's this little cap. And this cap, I think what, what Paul was trying to say, opening the cap is like opening our hands to giving. Like opening our hearts to giving. I'm not going to grip onto this so tightly. I'm going to choose to be generous. And you know what happens when we open up? It's this magic thing that happens where God can start to slowly but surely replace our trust. Idols can't be removed. They have to be replaced. And when you and I choose to open up, choose to open our hands, choose to open our hearts to give generously, look what happens. The trust of money is slowly replaced by trusting God. Over time, our trust in money is diminished and our trust in God grows. If you and I grip on so tightly and refuse to let go, it is that much harder for God to get in there. It is that much harder for our trust in him to grow. Now, obviously, like I said, this is not a perfect illustration. God is not limited by a little plastic cap in our lives, right? But he does give us an instruction to be generous, to open up. And he says the more we open up, the more our trust in him can grow. The more we start to experience this true life and find satisfaction and security and fulfillment on the inside. But here's the thing. Why is this so hard for us to do? Not open the cap of oil bottle, right? But why is it so hard for us to open up our hands? But why does it seem so difficult for us to give? You and me both. I mean, this is, this is a, a problem for all of us. Why is giving money such a stinking hard thing for us to do? I don't think it's because we don't want to be generous. Now, this might be a little naive. I obviously don't know everybody personally, but I think we want to be more generous, you know? I think many of us, it's, it's, we see it's an admirable trait. We know that generosity can help other people. Those of us that are Christians, we know that we, 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 we serve and worship a generous God. We want to be more like him. But yet it is so hard for us to actually open up, to take that cap off. And there, there might be a few reasons for that, but I think one of the biggest ones is because of fear. 
We fear what's going to happen if we do. In fact, I think anytime God gives us any instruction that takes a little bit of faith to follow through, there's fear there. If you've ever felt like God wanted you to pray out loud for somebody, there's some fear involved with that if you've never done that before. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? Are they going to think I'm one of those crazy Christians, you know, sort of thing? God, are you sure I can't just pray for them in my heart? But if we put it on your heart, there's a little fear. If you, if you ever felt like God wanted you to invite somebody to church, there's a little bit of fear there. If you, if you feel like God is kind of leading you to forgive somebody who hurt you deeply, man, there is a ton of fear there. What if they do it again? What if they're not sorry? What if they keep taking advantage of me? But yet, God says, I want you to do this out of faith. And the thing with both fear and faith is there's uncertainty. There's the unknown. And all of these what if questions start to rise up in our hearts and minds. And I think nowhere does this happen more than when it comes to giving our money. When you and I are challenged to open our hands and give money, the what if questions just start flooding. In fact, maybe we're thinking some of them right now. What if my car breaks down? What if my furnace dies? What if I lose my job? What if the economy tanks even more? What if my taxes go up even more? What if gas goes back up to $7 a gallon? You know, what if I don't have enough for retirement? What if I open up a little bit and then God asks me to give more than I'm comfortable with? Man, then I really ruined it, you know? What if, what if I don't have enough left for retirement? What if I don't have enough to make this? All these what if questions start to rush in and they all play off of fear. Now, I'm sure this is not the only reason why we read some of this stuff in the Bible, but I suspect maybe this fear issue that we have is one of the reasons that God addresses it so clearly in his word. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers, and chapter 8 and 9, you can go read later on your own, but he addresses this issue of giving specifically and, and, and really kind of hones in on this fearful aspect that is just as much of a problem for us today as it seemingly was back in the first century when he wrote it. Paul starts off with just kind of this general principle in life. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. This is just a principle that God has baked into the world, right? It's not a promise. It doesn't guarantee every single time this is going to how it's happened. But generally speaking, there is this, there's just the way the world works. We reap what we sow. And there's no farmer who would not plant seed out of fear. I'm sure every farmer experiences fear. What if, what if there's no rain? What if the soil isn't good? What if there's a natural disaster? This week? There's always the possibility of something bad not happening. But a farmer makes a calculated and responsible step of faith to plant seed, trusting that there's going to be a crop afterwards. And Paul starts with this principle, I think God is trying to help diminish or lessen some of the fears that we face with giving. Because as we'll see in just a moment, this same principle applies to our finances. He goes on from here and says this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. It's not about manipulation. It's not about trying to outdo the other. We can give responsibly and of sound mind. But God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. 
and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, this verse right here has been wildly taken out of context by celebrity pastors and televangelists and prosperity preachers. And I'm sure you've heard the message before. You give to God and you're going to get that new boat, you know? You give to God and you're going to win the lottery. That's not what Paul is talking about here. That's not a promise that God is making us. This is not about prosperity. This is about provision. God says, if you will give generously, I will take care of your needs. Now, not our needs according to the American dream, okay? This is where some of us might really struggle. Yeah, I, I tried that, and, and guess what? I still ran into some problems. It, this is not a guarantee that we're not going to face financial pressure. This is not saying we're going to get a new four-bed, three-bath home on five acres with a white picket fence. This is saying God will provide. In fact, he goes on in, the, in a couple of verses later, he says, God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, not just financially, but that's certainly a part of it, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Again, this is not give everything you have and just wait for God to fill your bank account. That's not the point. I'm so glad that, that, that God inspired Paul to write these farmer analogies as well. The farmer doesn't just sit back on the farm and say, God, make a harvest. He has to be responsible, till the soil, plant the seed, harvest the grain, make it into flour or whatever. I'm not a farmer. Bake the bread, you know, all these different things. The farmer has to be involved, but it's God who supplies. It's God who is the provider. You and I need to be responsible. Part of God's financial advice is to take care of our, our families and not have to rely on other people. But he also says, you can trust me. He also says, I will provide for your needs for the purpose of you being able to continue to be generous. I'm not going to provide just so you can stockpile, but God says, you can trust me. I will provide for you. And I just think, I just think we need to sit with this for a minute. Can God be trusted? Is God going to do what he said he's going to do? To me, when I read this, I just think, what? why would God lie? I mean, this seems pretty out there, pretty in your face. Why would God say he would do this and then not follow through? Doesn't that seem like it would make him untrustworthy? What are you, what are you and I going to do? If, if God says, if you be generous, I will provide for your needs so you can keep being generous. Do we believe it or not? I, I think to me, this, this seems like such a clear invitation for God to be involved in our finances. Imagine for a moment that, that you and I, if we experience some sort of financial hardship in life, say in a month's time, you know, you lost your job and a family member went in the hospital and your car broke down and you need a new washer and dryer and refrigerator and every appliance in your house broke all at once, right? That would, that'd be, that'd be pretty stressful. That'd, that'd put a strain on the bank account, I'm sure. And every single one of us, I know what we would do. We would all pray and ask God to provide and to increase, right? We, we would, we, now whether he would actually go through it or not, I don't know, we're all different spots, but we would totally believe that he is able and we would say, God, please intervene. I mean, logically speaking, why wouldn't we ask God to intervene earlier? 
Why, why do we have to wait for calamity to strike before we invite God to be a part of our finances? Wouldn't it make sense to have him involved as early as possible? There's a book I was introduced to probably three or four years ago by now. It's called Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. And to me, this is one of the best books I have ever read on financial generosity. And uh, the, I, this is not a sponsored ad or anything like that. I just really believe in the principles that, that Andy writes about in this book, so much so that I would encourage every single one of you to read this book. I mean, if I, if I could make you read it, I would. If I could beg you to read it, I would. It's, it's like 120 pages. It's small pages. It's big text. We can read it in three hours and be fine. But what he talks about in here just helps make this so clear for every one of us. You can buy this online for 5 or $6. If you can't afford 5 or $6, come talk to me. I will personally buy you a copy if you promise to read it, okay? So don't let that stop you. It is a fantastic book. It doesn't look like this. I tore the cover off, but Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. And in this book, he writes so many things that just just speak right to our hearts. But, but there's one quote in particular. He says this, isn't it rational to trust God with your finances since all of it belongs to him? It's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Hey, it's God who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. It's God who gives us the ability to work and the ability to make wealth and all those things. Like, and isn't it rational to trust God with something that's beyond your control? Anyway, the economy and so much stuff is, is outside of our reach. Therefore, doesn't it make it irrational to trust God for your eternal destiny and yet decline his invitation to direct your finances? That to me feels like a gut punch. I don't know about you, but I read that and I just think, man, why do I do that? Why do, why do you and I, why do we trust God to save and to heal and to speak to us and to direct and to guide and all these different things that we believe he can do. And yet we say, no, God, stay out of my, stay out of my finances. I don't want you to be in there. Doesn't that seem irrational? I mean, Jesus made this promise. If you seek God's kingdom first, he will supply your needs. Paul doubled down on it so many times, specifically in his letter to the Corinthians. Why wouldn't you and I see if it's true? Why wouldn't you and I open our hands and say, God, I want to discover if I can trust you or not. So what do we do with this? What do we do? How do, how do we start opening the cap? How do we start opening our hands to be generous? I do want to mention one thing really quick before we get into some steps. And, the, and that is that I think where we give matters. Now, if just generosity in general uh, is, is a good thing. You and I, we can choose to be generous towards a, a family member or a friend that it might help, a, a school organization, a nonprofit, disaster relief. We can experience some of the kind of the, the base level benefits of this generosity thing by just being, by just giving in general. But I believe that for those of us who are Christians, which maybe is not everybody here, everybody online, this, this wouldn't apply to you if you're not. But for those of us that are Christians, I believe that God wants us to fund his work in this world first and foremost. Not that we can't do other things as well, 
But God's number one priority in the world right now is to reach and draw people who are far from him, who are separated from him. Jesus told so many stories about a lost coin and lost sheep and prodigal son and Paul. I mean, all these things, this Christianity, God has given his people a great commission to fulfill. And God's mission is fulfilled primarily through the local church. Not the drywall and the lights and the carpet and the chairs and the coffee bar, but through people, through you and I, who have committed ourselves to God and who have committed ourselves to each other to accomplish this mission. It's God's plan A and there is no plan B. God accomplishes his work in this world through this thing we call the local church. And I believe God wants his people to fund his work first and foremost. When we choose to be generous towards God's work in this world is where this transfer of trust really starts to happen the most. But there are some practical steps that we can that we can take to kind of get this going or continue this going as well. And just so you think it's not plagiarism, I'm going to tell you again, this is straight from Fields of Gold, okay? Andy Stanley lays out a four-step process that I just, I love. Number one, because these four words he uses all start with the letter P, okay? It's alliteration. You know it's God's holy language. It just makes so much sense. Uh, it's wonderful. But beyond that, I love what he suggests because it's just so applicable for every one of us. Whether we're a new Christian or we've been a believer for five decades, whether we've never given anything before or, or we've been giving for decades, there's something in here for all of us. And the plan he lays out is this priority, percentage, progressive, and prompted. Priority giving, percentage giving, progressive giving, and then prompted giving. And, and real quick, here, here's what they all mean. Priority giving, pretty easy to understand. It means give to God first. You know you, I know me, we know ourselves. If we wait until we pay all our bills and go out to eat and go on vacations and pay, you know, buy a new car, there will never be anything left to give. We, we will spend as much money as we possibly have. If we don't make it the first thing in our budget, it's never going to happen. Again, doesn't mean we're not saved. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy God and go to heaven when we die. It's just this generosity thing will never come about. And so, I, I mean, let's just make it a priority. Even if it's $5, $10, $20, set up, my suggestion would be to set up just a recurring gift to, to again, if this is your local church or maybe you attend a local church somewhere else, to make it a priority. God, I want to give to you first and not hope there's enough left over at the end of the month. Can't start unless it's a priority. The second thing would be percentage giving. Percentage giving um, really kind of comes from a, 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 a principle in the Old Testament called the tithe. Tithe just means 10%. And for Jewish people, you know, before Jesus, before Christianity, God wanted his people to give a tenth of their resources, financially, farming, whatever, a tenth back to him as a form of worship. In the New Testament, there's no set percentage that we have to give. I personally believe that 10% is meant to be a starting point for Christians, not the finish line, but that's just something we can discuss. But, but here's the thing. If you and I want to make generosity more a part of our lives, then let's give a percentage of our income. Whether that's 1%, 5%, 10%, I don't know. 
whatever. And, and, and maybe, you know, I've heard questions before. Well, should the percentage be off the gross or the net? I don't know. That seems like such a secondary issue to me. How about we just start giving and see what goes from there, you know? Or, or if we're really concerned, do we want to reap off the gross or the net? You know, like, listen, it's, I think God is more concerned about the heart than down to a certain penny amount. But percentage giving is a great way to move our hearts in the direction of trusting God more. God, I want to open up that cap even a little bit more and trust you with my money. Progressive giving. I think this one right here might be an area that those of us that have been Christians for a while or those of us that have maybe been giving for a while, maybe this is where we need to be challenged a little bit. When was the last time that you talked to God about what he might want you to give? I don't know if he's going to give us, you know, a certain amount or put something on our hearts. I'm not, I'm not saying it has to be something specific, but when is the last time we even talked to God about our giving? Because here's what I think happens so often. We can do these first two and it almost just becomes kind of ritual. You know, it becomes like a habit. Maybe you set up a recurring gift and then don't even think about it anymore. But maybe we've gotten a raise since then. Maybe we started percentage giving off one income, but there's actually two incomes in the home. Maybe we got a raise as just God blessing us, but maybe we got a raise because God knows he can trust us and wants us to give. Or I don't know what the exact thing is, but is our relate in our relationship with God, are we open to God growing us in giving? I, I think along the lines of that just ritual and habit sort of thing, I would guess that for most of us, when we first started giving, it was a faith-stretching experience. It was something that caused us to trust in God a lot. But maybe over the last decade, that's faded. It's just become something we don't even think about. I don't think that's how God wants us to approach anything in our relationship with him. Maybe part of progressive giving is about growing our trust in God more than where it's been in the past. And then finally, there's prompted giving. Not necessarily the fourth step, but just something to stay open to. I believe that the more we grow in our relationship with God and the more we learn to hear his voice, not audibly, but you know, those, those internal pings, those prompts on the inside, there might be somebody that we come across or a, a missionary God puts on our hearts or some sort of organization where God leads us to give and we can stay open saying, God, I don't want to put that cap on. I want to be open to you prompting me. Priority giving, percentage, progressive, and prompted. And, and here's the thing. Jesus said something that I think should give us more peace of mind, peace of heart when it comes to this financial giving generosity thing. He said this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Money that you and I give to God's kingdom, God's work, again, primarily through the local church, I believe is the most secure, most long-lasting, and best financial investment we could ever make. Because ultimately, you and I are giving to make a difference in eternity. Out of the resources that God first gives us, when we choose to give some back to him and say, I trust you 
I want to trust you. When we choose to give some back, he uses that money to produce and bear eternal fruit. Any money that we keep to ourselves, again, be responsible, take care of lives, pay bills. I get all that. But any money we keep to ourselves ultimately fades into nothing. You know, there's always more bills to pay. The new thing always gets old. The vacation always ends. We can't take anything with us when we die anyway. But I, I, I believe I am counting on, I just know with all my heart, there is going to be a day in heaven where we stand and look around and see the faces of people who are impacted in some way through our generosity. And we will see, we will discover it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Why would we want to miss out on that? When I think about, to me, the, the pinnacle of trusting God as it relates to our finances is when you and I can give with joy. When our hearts are so full and satisfied on the inside in our relationship with God that we can joyfully say with a smile on our face, God, it's all yours anyway. Thank you for being involved in my life and in my finances. And thank you, God, for letting me be a part of your work in this world with my finances. I think when we give like that, that's when we really show in who it is we trust. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know the struggle we have with trusting money. You know it even more than we do, God. Father, I just want to admit to you for myself and really speak on behalf of all of us, we need your help with this. We will naturally always have such a tight grip on our money. But God, I want to invite you to help me loosen that grip. Father, give me courage to trust what you say. Father, help me take a step of faith, even though there's fear involved, and to choose to give. Not to get something in return, but Father, to discover how trustworthy you really are. Father, I want to invite you to transform our hearts, to transform our lives from the inside out. May you be continually speaking, working, drawing. Help us to open our hands in response to who you are and what you tell us you can do in our lives. Help us to trust that you are the provider. You are the supplier. You really can take care of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.